trying to make it right These people won't let me go I'm just trying to live my life I just need space to grow I'm just trying to make it right These people won't let me go Let me grow, let me go Let me grow, let me go They should know, they should know They should know, they should know I'm just trying to live my life I just need space to grow Welcome to the Tea with Brie. I'm your host, Brie. Thanks for listening. The Tea with Brie podcast is focused on deep, honest, and vulnerable conversation. Each week, I sit down with a different guest in order to have those conversations. Every week, we'll start with my guest's bio, an intro into how we know each other, and then we'll go into a deep dive conversation about whatever topic they brought to me that week. This week, I am joined by my guest, Bex Prager. Bex Prager, who uses they-them pronouns, is an Austin-based creative with a background in neuroscience who currently works as a freelance digital illustrator as well as user experience, user interface designer. Before tech design, Bex worked for an international nonprofit that fosters Jewish teen leadership in over 50 different countries. Bex is passionate about creating meaningful opportunities for young people to explore and express their individual and collective identities. In their free time, Bex enjoys hiking and biking the Austin Greenbelts with their dog, Chill Jill, cooking and hosting game nights with friends, taking film photography, and turning junk into art. Bex uses they, them pronouns and proudly holds the identities of being queer, non-binary, Jewish, and hungry all the time, all the hours of the day. Hello, my sweet friend. Hi, sweet friend. How are you? You know, I can't complain. It's a lovely Sunday morning. I was like, what is today? And yeah, we get to chat and talk about life and all the things. Gorgeous. I was trying to think how we met. And I feel like we met via the Instagrams first. Mm -hmm. You're wrong. I'm wrong. You're wrong. Prove me wrong. Uh, I met you in a professional capacity. And then I met you in a very unprofessional capacity. Okay. Um, It was when I was the director for the Jewish team. And the teens wanted to volunteer at local organizations. And one group they were really passionate about was Out Youth. I feel like that was after the online mm-hmm, one. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> I, because this is, yeah, this is the truth. Um, I emailed you, hey, can I volunteer at Out Youth? And you didn't get back to me. And then Somewhere, I right? think we matched on Bumble. And I was like, hey, can my, <laughs> can the kids that I work with volunteer wow. where you work? Called out. And I think I did it completely called out. out. It was like, do you want to respond to my email? Called and out. Clearly. <laughs> swipe on me then you better follow up with uh for my previous i also want to give the caveat that i worked i was the only one handling volunteering and fundraising (laughs) ridiculous which is actually ridiculous yeah Um, knowing from the internal side how nonprofits are structured that you wore so many hats but you did them really well thank you Um, so me ignoring your email (laughs) had nothing to do they do not correlate i but we're, we'll, we'll, we'll yeah. agree to disagree. <laughs> it's great. Yes. Yeah, so Gosh, call connected out. in that sphere, um, but then just uh, really vibed and, and hung out, I think, soon after we were able to get the teens to volunteer and serve. Yeah, we, yeah, we did. We went for pizza. Via 313. Via 313. Not my favorite pizza. No, <laughs> no, not as a, I, as a very 
snobby pizza person. I I would agree. Also, Detroit style pizza is not a real thing. It's cake. It's made up. I don't. Mm-mm. It's a Midwestern pizza lasagna. Sorry for people in the Midwest. Yeah. I mean, me no Shit. disrespect, but I'm from New Haven, so yeah. well snobby about my pizza. Yeah, so. East Coaster should be. It's Thank the you. best pizza in the country, in the continental U.S. of A. The continental. Um, you also read my tarot over at um. You live over on the east side at um, Old God. Pearl. Pearl. Luster Pearl. Luster Pearl. Yeah, did that. Yeah, and we've only been friends for like two years, which is wild to think about. I mean, I lived in Austin for three years, and you've been here for almost five. Almost five. It'll be wow. five in. It'll be five Memorial Day weekend. Yeah. I think we had crossed a lot of similar paths. I think it was only about time until like our professional spaces, queer spaces, just being real cute people spaces would have converged when it did. And it did. And it did. I also, the photo that I'm going to use for this episode is the photo of us from uh, Second Chance Prom when you came as my plus one. Straight flex. And we had full on 90s outfits on it. We just looked fantastic. So yeah. I am upset that I still can't find the, the boomerang of you with the umbrella arch. And I'm, oh, I mean, I uh, the balloon arch. That I was one. It. I'll it's, I say it's yeah. somewhere. The matching tracksuits are by far. I mean, like, I've been to many a prom. Um, I actually went back to prom after being in college. I was invited back, which was I wouldn't recommend. Dead. But um, this was my favorite prom. 100%. Love this. We were so comfy. I loved um, it. It was great. Yeah. Um, what are we talking about today, Brie? How dare you take over my show? <laughs> this podcast has been coming. I know, clearly. Uh, well, today we will be discussing the topic of, the topic we're talking about today is anti-Semitism, racism, and the intersection of Black and Jewish people in America. Awesome. What made you pick this topic? Well, I would say I'm half qualified to speak on this topic. Um, and like many good topics of conversation, uh, it takes two people to talk about it. So I was <laughs> pointing out the obvious there forward. Um, I, I'm a Jewish person. Um, I've grown up in a family of, uh, with a Jewish dad and a mom who converted. Uh, she was raised Catholic and then made the really cool decision that she wanted to raise her kids Jewish and that's had a huge impact on who I am as a person how I walk around the world and uh, also some of the work I've done in the past and um, also something that's influenced like the topic at hand has been the fact that like my family um, was in the military for many years um, and living abroad and living here in the United States like we're very much so in communities that were diverse um, in terms of race and background. Um, the United States military for all of its faults, which I'm you know, very open about, um, also provides a, a sense of community of people that in other parts of the world are very segregated. Um, so that was kind of my premise of who I am and how I've come to be was being raised Jewish and being raised in the military and seeing many faces in many places and and starting communities there. So that's that's where I'm coming from. Yeah. It's interesting as we sit here today, it's January 17th. And so last, almost two weeks ago now, um, we had the folks, the white supremacists and all of those people um, basically attacked the, and terrorized the Capitol. And it was interesting to see all of the shirts that were so anti-Semitic. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think for me as a black person in America, I, I, 
outwardly see the racism based off of people's skin. But I think for me to, to see the, the hate for folks because of different religious views, right? Like we see, you know, how Muslims were, there's the Muslim ban, there's all the stuff against trans people. There's obviously racism with people of color and black people in particular in the history of black people in America. But to see the hate of Jewish people in America simply based off their religion is still something that I, I not that I can't believe happens because everyone has the capacity to be garbage, but I think it's just, it's, it's not that something that often comes to the forefront of my brain. It's so counterintuitive to the messaging we've, we've received our entire lives, yeah. which is that we are a country of religious freedom, one of the founding principles of why people left, you know, right. Britain and other places to, to found this formative nation was for religious freedom. And then to see that so, yeah, so publicly is really jarring. And I mean, if, if people haven't seen what this representation looks like, there was a man with a beard wearing a jacket that said, um, Camp Auschwitz, mm -hmm. work brings freedom, which is a translation of the sign that was outside of Auschwitz that, you know, quote unquote, welcomed, um, you know, the persecuted Jews of Eastern Europe. Um, there is a lot of other anti-Semitic messaging on people's shirts, but I want to like make this very clear if this isn't something that people have already seen online, was that counterintuitive to, to what we think of the people that were gathered there at the insurrection, whether they committed violence or not. There were Jewish people there, conservative mm -hmm. Jews. Um, some I know personally, some I know that are family members of friends. Um, it is not to be confused with just because anti-Semitism was visible and present at the insurrection that Jews who identify as politically conservative weren't also there. Mm -hmm. um, there are Trumper Jews. <laughs> And, and, it's, and it's not as small as a minority as we would think or that I would like to believe. Mm -hmm. um, so like, how do we hold that like dichotomy of, of it within my own community that there are people that are, I've always associated Judaism with progressivism, mm -hmm. um, with this reform movement that is speaking up against injustice, justice, justice we will pursue is like a, a, a quote, a, a rallying cry of Jewish people. Um, and so to see the antithesis of that, to see people who identify as politically conservative um, that are Jewish, that align themselves with all of these falsehoods, with um, neo-Nazis, with very pervasive conspiracy theories surrounding anti-Semitism, it really messes with your, with your brain and your identity. And it's like, how do we call in people that I have this, you know, quote unquote connection with, mm. but then truly have nothing in common with at the end of the day. I mean, the, these, you know, Jewish people that did show up for the insurrection as Trump allies, Trump supporters, majority of them were white men. And I, I really struggled to think about like, are these people that I would have run into at like a Jewish conference in Baltimore? Are these people that visited my temple in Las Vegas where I grew up? Are these, are these like passing faces that um, are also subtly the face of racism and fascism? Oppression. Yeah. 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 I always, I'm shocked whenever I see like women for Trump, black people for Trump, LGBTQA plus people for Trump. And I'm like, how do folks sit at that intersection of being a marginalized person, but then sitting with these folks who don't support us? And so it was interesting. One of the most 
visceral things that I saw that caused me like this really visceral reaction was seeing this black guy during the insurrection chanting black black lives don't matter or some or all lives matter or some shit or something about black lives like I feel like my brain has blocked it out but essentially him him speaking up and shouting against black lives matter with the rest of the folks that were there and so yeah it's just been like you're saying would I have seen this person where I was like at an event for black people or for queer people or yeah. feeling, you know, uh, assuming that this this person who's in this space with me believes the same things that I do, yeah. but then seeing them in this other space in this other capacity being so anti everything during this, uh, this attack on the Capitol. And yeah. yeah. And, and you're, you're right. You know, the more, you know, you and I have become friends. So as you and I have become friends, it's, it's been really interesting to hear, the progressiveness in Judaism. I was raised Christian and and slash Baptist, if you want to get really in depth, but seeing, and, you know, before we started recording, you and I were talking about religion and how I was raised to believe that my religion was about relationship with Jesus. I don't believe in the fire and brimstone God. Don't come for me. Um, I just, I, I, I attribute my belief system to Jesus and who Jesus would be hanging out with. Like Jesus was a very progressive person. He hung out with the lepers and the sex workers and um, the folks that were kind of cast out by society. And so for me to now be almost 31 and have been questioning my religion the last maybe five years since I moved to Austin, um, because since 45 became president, I've been feeling like folks use religion as a weapon, like it's become very weaponized and and, yeah. and super divisive. So like to see people who use the Bible as a reason to hate people and give them a reason to to say why you're living wrong is such an interesting thing to me because that's not how I was raised at all. Yeah. My religion was about my relationship with Jesus and then also my relationship with folks who believed in Jesus as well. Mm-hmm. But it was not my job to question their their relationship. Like our job was to be in relationship together while also holding this dichotomy of relationship with Jesus and just being in the same space to sort of worship together. Yeah. And so like this whole like judging of like, I'm a better Christian than you has just never been something that I subscribe to. And so that when I moved to Austin and started seeing people who claim to be religious and Christian, but were so hateful I became super embarrassed to be in that same category as them. And so the last couple of years, I've been looking at other spiritual practices. Like I, like, like, you know, I started reading tarot. I do a lot of meditation. I, I've said that I'm more spiritual in the fact that like, I believe in Jesus, but I don't subscribe to organized religion. Also, I have a really big thing about cults, but that's another podcast episode. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's just, I've been trying to figure out what my belief system is and, and understand that I don't owe anyone an explanation at the same time. Yeah. I think it's, it's owning that, but you're, you're right. Like coming to Texas, I had certain assumptions um and and fears about the wild west i mean i've lived in arizona for a period of time so i mean that's probably a wilder west in some in some ways but i coming out here like the billboards are really mm-hmm. frightening and i you know i've seen them along other interstate highways but like that you know jesus will save you or else there's hell to pay mm-hmm. and, and kind of like really menacing and threatening messages um in a public sphere um that is just not something i don't know what it is because about judaism that is i mean i, I could probably take a couple guesses it's very guarded um Mm. you know it's not 
a faith that is just like doors wide open to anyone who's curious or wants to convert. Um, it can be in some communities, but I think knowing our history as a, a formerly persecuted people, um, it, we can be really guarded and protected. I mean, even the process of, you know, spouses converting can be, um, there's, you know, a joke that's really well done in the <laughs> Orange is the New Black about uh, one of the characters wants to convert to Judaism while in prison and you have to ask the rabbi three times. And it's, um, they string it as a whole joke, but it's this idea that like you have to really pursue a relationship with the Jewish community mm-hmm. because we have learned as a people that there are things in this world that will harm us, um, that will not like infiltrate us spiritually or change the path of our messaging, but could physically harm us. Mm-hmm. I think that's more of the fear. You know, my my temple growing up in, in Las Vegas, we had, you know, armed security at the gates. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad, who's, you know, a military service person would conceal carry which like to note, like makes me super uncomfortable. I, as an individual, am very uncomfortable with guns and weapons. I will never own them personally. I, you know, couldn't even pull a BB gun trigger on a squirrel as a kid. And I, it's so weird, like growing up in a household where we had, you know, weapons that we kept in, you know, armored safes growing up that were cleaned at the dinner table. I I just ideologically could never wrestle with that. Um, But it, it was explained to me, you know, my family members that it, it, it was a measure that they felt that they needed to take given um, a history of violence against the Jewish community. Um, and, you know, that being said, I think that like, you know, there's a certain amount of like fear and guilt and shame that was instilled in me being Jewish, not from, you know, the, the people in my immediate family or my congregation, but I think growing up feeling different, um, you know, I, was not eager to tell people I was Jewish until when I was much older. Mm-hmm. I think in, in high school, I went on an Israel trip um, that commemorates the Holocaust. So it was me and like 40 other high schoolers um, from across the Southwest. And we joined like an international delegation of thousands of Jewish teens and educators. And we go to um, the Holocaust camps in Poland um, and you see several of them and we mourn and there's a sense of community and education. Um, and then after that, you spend a week in Israel. It's like literally walking from the darkest parts of um, our people's history into what's supposed to be a modern day representation of freedom and light. And Israel itself comes with its own complications, which I mean, this is a whole other podcast. But, um, you know, it really opened my eyes to that there's a, a part of being Jewish that I could, you know, find peers in that I could be proud about. And so my connection to my Jewish identity it hasn't been necessarily a spiritual one, but one of community with people. Mm. Um, I can't even admit, honestly, that I believe in a higher power. Um, but I think it is the, it's the sense of like warmth and hope that I get from being around other people um, in a Jewish-ish space. You know, I think that it's it's communing over food. It's about arguing. It's about asking questions. I think that was probably my favorite thing growing up was being told that we were a people of questions. You could ask, you know, uh, three rabbis the same question and get five answers. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was the idea that we were okay, you know, asking these questions and not having a consensus, um, but it was pertinent and and above all necessary for us to keep a conversation going. So I think the things that drew me to Jewish spaces after, you know, having a B'nai Mitzvah with my brother, which B'nai Mitzvah is when, so Bat Mitzvah is for, you know, people who are assigned female. 
uh, bar mitzvahs for folks that are assigned male. And the B'nai Mitzvah is uh, just like the plural term of that. So my brother and I actually shared um, like a coming of age ceremony together. We're, we're 15 months apart. I think it was more of a financial decision. But anyway, like looking back, I'm so glad that I shared kind of like this like co-ed gender neutral coming of age ceremony with my sibling because um, it really, it's not common, right? It's kind of like this wonderful um, expression of Judaism that has evolved over the years. That there was, you know, a point in time where only men got bar mitzvahs, and then in like the '60s and '70s, there was more of a push and a movement for for women to be bar mitzvah. And now that you can have something that's like even now for, I mean, this is beautiful, but like very young gender non-conforming kids um, or even trans kids have a B mitzvah. I've heard recently, mm. like very exciting, like very cool that some forms of Judaism have taken on this progressive wing. And like I said, like it's not true for every every sect of Judaism. There's still, you know, very conservative, very insular parts of the Jewish community which have value and purpose. And um, I'm of the belief that people who are um, very orthodox Jewish people who, you know, some of the visible hallmarks are um, the men with the beards and the long black coats and the hats and the, and the curls, which are pay us. Um, that they are, you know, more so the victim of hate crimes um, than, you know, people like me who walk around in t-shirts and jeans um, and maybe a Star of David around their neck. Um, and so it's this kind of visible form of Judaism that I feel needs to be protected, even if I don't ideologically believe with the way that they live and practice. Um, I think I still see them as part of like this greater wing of Judaism. Um, and, you know, at a fault too, you know, it's, it's like, am I a hundred percent welcome in all those Orthodox Jewish spaces? Like perhaps not, but do I still see the value and community um, of their existence? Absolutely. Um, and so I, it's so interesting that like, there's a part of Jewishness that assimilates mm. um, and there's a part of, of Jewish practices that doesn't. Yeah. And in the privilege of, you know, myself being a, a white person of being of Ashkenazi descent and also um, my mom's side, which is just like white, British, Irish, who knows? Um, it, the privilege that comes with that. It's not, there's not a target on my back um, walking around with who I am, but still, you know, it, it's, it's very, I, it, it's something that I've loved to see discussion about on platforms called Hey Alma, which if you have not checked out, you must. Mm -hmm. um, it is like the feminist Jewish media outlet that explores everything from Jewish identity to race and politics, but they really have uplifted the voices of Jews of color, um, of biracial Jews, of um, converts, of, of people who are outside of the you know, Andy Samberg, um, Adam Sandler looking Jews that we've seen in the media and stuff, like real practicing people and also living the voices of um, like queer Jews of color, like Rabbi Sandra Lawson uh, is a big hero of mine. She is the uh, Hillel rabbi at Elon University in North Carolina. Um, and she holds these identities of, you know, of being queer, of being black, of being a woman rabbi. And being the face of an entire, you know, progressive movement in some way, yeah. using um, her platform and her honesty and her raw musical talent um, to reach Jewish people in so many different spheres. Um, it's, and it's, I, I wish that this was something I had seen growing up in like my little childhood, you know, picture books about mm -hmm. what Jewish people look like was that like we are a diverse community and, and not just in the United States, but like globally, there are, like I said, Ashkenazi Jews 
that are primar primarily Eastern European, but Sephardim, so Sephardic Jews are like Middle Eastern in some parts of India as well. India actually has a very ancient, very long-standing Jewish community. Who knew? If you can believe it. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, and then also Mizrahim. So um, Jews that come from North Africa, we think of like Ethiopian Jews. Um, and so to say that like Jews are a monolith, that they all look a certain way and talk a certain way and they play these like great cheesy characters and sitcoms, <laughs> it's just not an accurate representation of what Jewish people look like and um, what that means in terms of um, how we treat each other and how we express ourselves in public spaces. So that's just what I've learned in yeah. the past couple of years. I don't know if any of that resonates with yeah. your religious experiences. I mean, before we get to, I feel like, first of all, as a Christian, we're everywhere, right? Like there's a church on every corner, basically, Texas. especially in the South. Go ahead. Texas has the most churches yeah. and storage units per capita in the world doesn't surprise me <laughs> not at all um but yeah like that was a thing like you know growing up in connecticut there was again a church on every corner and either um it was a catholic church or you know a quote like black church or you know we had some temples here and there but like i always saw a church wherever i drove and so like that the, the fact that, you know, one of the things for me is like the reckoning of like one of my privileges is being in a religion that is, quote, widely accepted. Mm. Like it's very, you know, I can go anywhere and walk into a Christian or Catholic church. I mean, I don't get all the stuff about Catholicism, the standing and the sitting, I can't. Um, you would hate Jewish service. I just, I, <laughs> it's a lot of up random down. sidebar <laughs> tangent. My really good friend, her father passed, um, Joe, loved Joe, but going to his funeral, I was like, I don't know what the fuck to do. Cause it was the sitting <laughs> and the standing. And, you know, you're trying to be in this place of like honoring and mourning. And I'm like, I'm like freaking out. Like, I don't know what to do. You're anyway. overstimulated. Yeah. I'm like, I don't, the, the smell. I'm like, okay, great. Um, but it was interesting as you were talking of like, the the assimilation right like I can assimilate where I go religious wise yeah. and then my friend Elise who was an episode uh, way back you'll have to go back and look or put in the show notes um but she is Jewish and she grew up and was living I think she said she lived in Boston for a while and so she was able to be very Jewish in the northeast yeah um but coming here and she wrote a whole post about being Jewish after the insurrection in her feeling, and she's a therapist, so she wrote like this whole long post about how to hold your sadness and mourning as a person who was white, but also Jewish, because of you know how many black folks were talking about how you know we 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 this is the America we've always known. White people come in, yeah. pillage, take everything, and then crucify the folks who they have mistreated and act like, you know, the indigenous people were savages. It's like, no, you came and stole their land yeah. or black people can go back to where they came from. Like y'all took us from our land. Like, I don't know. There's no round trip ticket here. Right. It's just, yeah. Yeah. And so Elise was writing about how like she as a therapist is trying to understand her privilege of being white, but then also being in a place where her religion is crucified because she's a Jewish person living in Texas. And just to read her post about, you know, she has to go to like seven different stores to find anything that if she wants to make a traditional Jewish dish. Yeah. Um, and I think about like with you and your new company, Menchbox, and how like you send this out because you saw that there was a need for this in your community, especially yeah. here in Texas. And so it's been interesting to sit with that sort of like 
the dichotomy of privileges, right? Like if we look at me and Elise sort of mirrored of like, she is white and Jewish, but I am black and Christian. And like those dichotomies of our privileges and how they, how they kind of show up in in our friendship. Um, That's been something that's really been sitting with me of like, and I wrote on her thing. I'm like, you, everyone has the permission, air quotes, if we need it, the permission to mourn in whatever capacity you see fit for you. Mm -hmm. Like there should not be a quote, like who's worse off awards, right? Like this, this thing of like, when you're talking to folks of like how far away from privilege can you get makes you a more whatever person. Um, And I think with me growing up, like, and I think I've talked about on the show before, like I grew up in a very pro-black family Mm -hmm. of like people who march in the civil rights movement, people who have continued to just keep moving forward and doing great things and being told my whole life that like you being black and a woman your voice matters and you have the right to take up space and you are allowed to fight for what you believe is right and you don't have to take anyone's shit. And so being able to to owe a lot of that to my religion too, because in the Black church, specifically as children, we are very much molded in this sense of like being on stage and being supported and and given the opportunity to sing, to dance, to act on the plates, try all these different things in a community of support and know what it is like to fail and try again and, and have people in your corner. And so I think I was talking to my friend Ben, who was an episode before of like, I grew up in a very positive and supportive church. And the fact that like, it instilled in me a lot of the values that I have of like paying it forward, yeah. supporting people endlessly, um, always looking to better yourself and better others. And so to see how as a, how good Christianity or how important Christianity was to who I am as a person, mm-hmm. but then at the, on the other, on the other side, also know how detrimental that religion can be, especially as a queer person. And that has a lot to do with with how I feel too, of like growing up with my godfather's a pastor. And so we, when I came out, he was like, I love you. Yeah. This doesn't take away my love from you. And he actually is coming on the show to talk about, you know, loving your queer children while being a pastor. And because a lot of folks even still preach against being gay or whatever. Um, in the church. And it's interesting, like having grown up knowing the Bible again, new Testament all day. Um, and, and seeing that, that very loving and forgiving and moving forward and, and all these things that Jesus preached and then being in the real world of how people can use it as a weapon. Yeah. And so like, it, it's just so interesting all the time for me to sit at that, at that, oh, that, that intersection of I am black and queer. I've also been raised in this religion that is super detrimental and, yeah, it's just, so all that to be said is just, it's just so interesting to see how, like you're saying, the assimilation yeah. of being able to be in this, in this intersection, as well as be very passing when yeah. you need to be. And, you know, Christianity does have a lot of, you know, currency. It, it has, church, mm-hmm. entire cities have been built around churches and that community. There's a lot of money in there. There's well, it, it is it is a wealth of not only like culture and knowledge, but also of actual freaking money. Well, if you look at the, like the money we have in this country, says in God we trust. Oh yeah, no, it's it's yeah, <laughs> it's but it's 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 a survival mechanism. We could talk about capitalism, but not not That's today. Right. And I think That's it's right. but here's the thing too is that you know for some Jewish people there's this universal story of of escaping persecution and coming to a different place, and sometimes with little to nothing in your pockets. 
Um, and, and a lot of people like to chalk up the success or the survival of Jewish people's day to like tenacity and hardworking and, and chutzpah and all of these kind of values that just mean like working hard with what little you have. And I have the maybe controversial opinion that Jewish people thrive in the United States, not because they were hardworking or valued education or had some kind of moral high ground of, you know, being scrappy. I think they purely survived and were able to gain economic wealth and power because of of being white. Mm. Um, And, you know, there were certain barriers and legislation that kept Jews from achieving certain things, but there also was opportunities in other places. So like my my great-grandfather came to the United States as an immigrant. Um, His dad had died and his mom just kind of picked up the kids and came to the U.S. from South Africa. Um, after living in Eastern Europe and um, grew up really, really poor and, and finally like was able to, to work his way up and, and have an education. But when it came time for him to apply for medical school, there was a quote on how many Jews medical schools in the U.S. would take at the time. This was like the early 1900s, 1920s, I think. So, you know, he uh, took a boat abroad to Switzerland and went to medical school there where they didn't have quotas on Jews. But the fact is like there was the option to do that, you know, mm. and I think that so many times we like to chalk up our success to some kind of like internal factor. But I, I argue that Jewish people survive on very external factors. Um, there's a lot of people that converted um, that if the Jewish thing was the only thing keeping them back, they could just throw that away. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and it's just not something that people of color can do. Mm-hmm. And I just want to be always really cognizant of that. Like, yes, it's, it's kind of a pain that growing up, I had to color, uh, Christmas themed coloring pages in my fourth grade class, um, or sing Christmas carols, or I have a hard time finding Jewish ingredients in the grocery store. Like those are small potatoes compared to the the violent persecution of people in, in, in modern times. And so I, you know, as much as like you can hold space, um, as I think your friend Elise very like appropriately puts out, hold space for like what are those small slights and persecutions, and and even like you know the traumas of the Holocaust that we carry as a people. Those are important and relevant, but also use those kinds of things to empower you to look to your your neighbors and your friends and your community and say, who else is experiencing that kind of persecution or trauma? What can I do? What has my my people's experience, what values can be taken that that I can channel into that? And that's the solutions are not the same, but the empathy should be there above all. And so what I have no tolerance for is Jewish people that turn a blind eye to the struggles of other peoples and say, we just did it. You can do it too. Mm-hmm. That's that's just not. A, I'm not of that belief system, you know. And um, and it's also just like taking a keen eye to like who within our own community um is not serving us. You know, we we tend to also think of like the the East Coast and the the Northeast as being very progressive and very liberal. You know, my grandparents live in upstate New York, and the country club and and the town they live in for the longest time. I think up until probably the 50s or 60s had a sign on their the gates of this country club that said uh no jews no blacks no dogs like this this is this is the country that we live in very visible people think like oh that would never exist in new york state and like it did because it was a private you know entity mm-hmm. and they can say whatever they wanted and so you know it's it's feeling empowered by knowing the very recent history of our country and saying how are we going to educate ourselves and do something about this and um you know, I, I love being able through Menchbox to educate people about, you know, some of the, the bright and sunny and fun traditions of being Jewish, but also like call in 
um, moments of, of education and knowledge to some of the darker times we're experiencing. You know, um, I think the passing, the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg was really transformative. Um, someone who, you know, was a, a woman in her field, but also a Jewish woman unapologetically. So I think that the tenacity that she mirrored mirrors so many great Jewish matriarchs that we have the privilege of looking to. But I think RBG passing was was really huge for Jews and um, and for for Jewish women and Jewish femmes too to have someone that we could singularly look to who was small and diminutive in stature but in presence um, powerhouse. Didn't back down. But at the same time, like I can joyfully you know revere RBG, but also know that she had some really negative stances against indigenous people. Mm -hmm. um, she really saw them as obsolete, as not worthy of having weight or um, or wealth in this country, which is, let me to be clear, the antithesis of the reality of indigenous peoples in this country mm -hmm. that have thriving communities, economic power that they should be allowed to tap into um, and, and are very much so a, a living, breathing entity. Um, so, you know, I think it's like, whereas people are daunted to accept these, these contrasting realities, I feel empowered and thrilled as a Jewish person to say, let's tackle these two concepts yeah. that are at odds with each other. Like bring on the, the contradiction because it, it, it must be explored. You know, I think that, um, you, some of the, the Christian services I sat in with friends growing up and even, you know, my mom's Catholic side of the family was a lot of, of listening, which I think is important. Um, a lot of um, being handed down information. Um, I also was really close with Mormon friends growing up and went to some of their, their like Bible study classes. And a lot of, a lot of what I found in the Christian faith was given instructions, like mm -hmm. a manual to your life. Yep. And these, these are the, these are the box. These are the lines of the boxes you're supposed to stay in. Exactly, yeah, this is exactly. the fence. And as you know, a, a non-conforming person in general, th that never works for me. And so mm -hmm. I, I don't know if it's something about our, our Jewish texts, our Talmud, our Torah being a scroll, a physical mm -hmm. scroll that is very cyclical in motion. So you literally un unroll the Torah and then read through the different books and passages. And at the end of the year, we have Simchat Torah where you re-roll the Torah and it starts all over again. It's never a closed bookend. It is mm -hmm. just like this beautiful and kind of symbolic thing of like, we're starting stories over and this year, maybe they'll be different. Mm -hmm. It's kind of, um, there's constant opportunities in Judaism for renewal and reflection. There are, you know, serious times of atonement where we fast and we make amends and we apologize. Um, to each other and also to ourselves. Yeah. And, and so I, you know, I'm not someone who, who delves deep into, um, I think textual Judaism in terms of like stories of people and places, but I think more so the values of like, how are we living our day-to-day -day life in a way that mirrors, in a way that mirrors how we want to continue to survive. Yeah. Um, there's a holiday coming up in two weeks, which is like one of the sillier minor Jewish holidays called Tu Bishvat. And it's just like the holiday of the trees. You know, so it's like, yes, we feel guilty and remorseful for all the amounts of paper we've used in the past year. But like, let's take some time to compost. Let's take some time to like plant some seeds in our own personal gardens, both like physically, but also spiritually. Like, how are we hoping to grow like trees and be like trees in that silly and fun way? But um, I, yeah, I don't know. I think that, you know, starting this company has been a moment for me to get really creative with um, Jewish teachings and Jewish holidays and, and share that. And, um, 
And even with some of my secular friends, I've had them reach out being like, you know, I'm not, I'm not judging, but this looks really fun. And I'm like, go ahead, like yeah. I'll throw some holla your way. Um, I'll share some like funny Jewish memes with you, see if anything connects. But um, I'm not, I'm not here to like preach and hammer things. I'm more here to just share out of mm. curiosity. And it's, it's been a, it's been a fun business so far. It's uh, my dream goal for Menchbox is to take on, you know, as we scale, like continue to take on business partners and employees that are um, queer Jews, that are Jews of color, that are also passionate about like being openly Jewish and, and sharing these experiences and, and getting creative and fun with it. I think that like, um, I'd love to, to have a, a, a team and a workforce that reflects our community at large. I love this idea. Also, I think what really solidified our friendship to be selfish for a minute was when you bought me a Purim basket. I did. <laughs> that was my... I did Purim's coming up, so... I'm, oh, I'm basket. aware. <laughs> there will be a hamantaschen for days. I'm very excited. Maybe a little bit of wine. Mm. Yeah, I just... I. I, I think that's been one of the, the most beautiful things too, is like seeing the diversity in Judaism. Like I, like you're saying, it's, it's always this idea of like Jew, Jewish people have to look this way. And you beautifully made a list of folks who are both black and Jewish, um, which I didn't know. Drake, Lenny Kravitz, Tiffany Haddish's father is Jewish. Oh my God. A very cool sect of Jews called Eritrean Jews. And she actually converted, Tiffany Haddish had a bat mitzvah. She had a whole Netflix special around it. And the rabbi that like helped bat mitzvah Tiffany Haddish is Sarah Silverman's sister. Dead. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, of course she is. Well, I thank you so much for coming on and talking about this topic. I think it's really important obviously that's why I wanted you to come on. Um, I'll be sure to link everything in the show notes. I'll probably just list your beautiful notes as a separate document (laughs) so folks can go in and read it. But yeah, as you know, at the end of every episode, I like to finish with a sort of palate cleanser question. And the question is, what is the best advice you were ever given? Or what is a piece of advice you would give your younger self? Mm -hmm. This, um, This advice actually comes from a mutual friend of ours. Um, which I was thinking about this morning as I was, you know, getting up to make the bagels. Um, I was able to make leaps and bounds in my personal identity um, as a non-binary person, thanks to the help of a very cool therapist uh, in Austin uh, named Adam Moore, um, who, Maurer, who is just, you know, an incredible human being and represents um, so many things to me, but it's also just really a role model as like a, a queer therapist. Um, and one of the amazing things that they shared with me was um, being to yourself the person that you probably needed when you were younger, I think is one way of putting this, but a better way of putting it is I was dealing with a lot of negative self-talk. I was um, so hard on myself, telling myself I had made things up, telling myself I was you know, making life difficult for myself and others. And Adam really challenged me to really challenged me to speak to myself more kindly the way I would to a friend. Uh, said that, hey, if a friend came to you or a teen that you were working with at the, you know, the JCC, if a teen came to you and said, hey, I think I'm non-binary, I think I just feel so misunderstood or am I making this up? Am I crazy? Like, what would you say to that person? And I, would, and I you know, of course would validate that and then say that you are exactly how you see yourself and it doesn't matter what other people think. Um, and, and Adam goes, you need, you need to give, give yourself that advice too, and and actually take it. And so I think it was like 
looking at myself with more compassion, um, talking to myself as if I was a younger person or a dear friend, like the things I was saying to myself, I would never have said to, to you or anyone else um, that I care about. So I want to thank Adam um, for a really wonderful and transformative year of therapy and, and for being someone that I can aspire to be both like personally and professionally, someone who takes care of themselves and others. Um, and uh, yeah, be like Adam. Be like Adam. Be queen. Ugh. That's it for this week's episode of The Tea with Brie. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at The Tea with Brie. Send me an email at the tea with Brie at gmail.com and visit the website, the tea with Brie podcast.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or we get your podcasts. A special thanks to Mama Duke for our theme music, and I will talk to y'all next week. Bye. <laughs>